Scripture reading this morning is from John 13. We're reading verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. I give to you this just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Once again, I want to remind you that we have these uh, gift bags on the stage that have been uh, created for those in the medical field, and we encourage you as members to grab a few bags and drop them off to those who, who you know are in the medical profession, whether it be your own doctor or just uh, friends and family and, and, and people you know that, that are involved as, as nurses, as doctors, as uh, technicians, or, or whatever industry that you can think of because this is our way of showing some of our love for our community so be sure to grab uh, this is the remainder of the bags as far as I know with the exception of those that are downstairs and if you're uh, online as one of our uh, members we encourage you stop by the building if you're comfortable during the week when there are less people here and grab a few bags and distribute them as you see fit as well, but we want to finish distributing these bags to those in the medical profession to show them that we care. And we thank all of you who have contributed to the bags and, and for all of you who have already uh, dispersed some of them as well, but keep that in mind over these next couple of weeks. This morning we are going to introduce a new sermon series. Now, you may recall that our theme for 2021 is Go and Do. And thus far this year, we've really tried to engage that theme, not only educationally from the pulpit, but actively in day lives. And we've had a couple of great opportunities to do that with a door knocking uh, campaign back in January. And then, of course, these uh, gift bags here in the past few weeks. And there are more opportunities coming, including what Mingu just mentioned at the start of this service, which is our Korean Friends Day. So we encourage you, we, we, we want to equip you to be involved in going and doing within our community. But we cannot negate the fact that going and doing is not limited just to our community. Going and doing is a responsibility of us as Christians to those who are outside of Christ, but it is also our responsibility toward those who are in Christ as well. What I mean is that going and doing has a community aspect to it, but it also has a congregational aspect to it. I'm to go and do out there just as much as I'm to go and do in here. And for the next few weeks, I want to turn our attention to going and doing in the community of faith. And I want to do this by looking at the one another commands that appear in Scripture. And we're going to call this fulfillment of the one another commands in Scripture, we're going to call it anothering. Yeah, you think I'm making up another word. But actually, I stole this from another preacher. He made up the word, I'm just using it. So, anothering is simply the principle of fulfilling the one another commands of Scripture. Here's the thing. Do you realize that there are something like 90 different statements using the phrase one another in the New Testament? Some of those are presented as uh, 
positive commands, as in uh, things you're supposed to do. Some of them are presented as negative commands, things you are not to do. But there are 90 different one another statements in the New Testament. And with those 90 plus different statements, there are at least 30 different actions or verbs attached to the one another statement. For example, you can look in Ephesians in chapter uh, 5, and we have the, the instruction to submit to one another in verse 21. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18, we're told to comfort one another. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, we're told to be kind to one another. In James chapter 5 and verse 16, we're told to pray for one another. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9, we're told to show hospitality to one another. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, honor one another. Now that's just a few examples of some of the one another statements that appear in the New Testament. And that's the basis of of our sermon series for the next few weeks. We're going to examine some of these one another commands that are presented in Scripture, and we're going to try to grasp what our responsibility is to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, we're going to learn how we can another one another. And today we're going to begin with the most frequently mentioned anothering command in all of Scripture. That's the command to love one another. Of those 90-something appearances of the phrase one another, at least 15 of those are associated with love. For instance, in the midst of his final discourse, Jesus declared in John chapter 15 and verse 17 that everything he taught his disciples was so that you will love one another. And then Paul instructed the Christians in Rome in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 to love one another with brotherly affection. And in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, Peter said, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And John, who talked about love more than anyone else, John instructed his readers in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 to love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You see, if you journey through the New Testament, whether it's Jesus speaking or Peter, Paul, and, and John writing, you're going to come across this expectation that we love one another. It is the preeminent one another statement in all of Scripture. It's the one another statement that appears the most frequently bar none. So today we're going to turn our attention to the, to the love one another command, and we're going to discover just how important it is. See, I believe it's the most important one, because I believe all other anothering commands are built off of this one. Submit to one another? Doesn't that first take love? Honor one another? Doesn't that require love? You see, when you start looking at all these commands, they all boil down to loving one another. So why is loving one another the preeminent one another command? Well, one reason is because it is foundational. There's a phrase that John uses in conjunction with the love one another command on two different occasions. 
The first time he uses it is in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 11. He writes this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That from the beginning phrase, it gets repeated in John's second letter, in, John, in 2 John, the first chapter, because it has no chapters. 2 John, verses 5 through 6, says, Now I ask you, dear lady, that's his term of endearment for the church, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So whether you're looking at John's first letter or his second letter, he indicates that the love one another command is from the beginning. What's John mean? What is he saying when he uses that phrase? John is indicating that the command to love one another is one of the first principles of Christianity. It's Discipleship 101. If you were enrolling in Discipleship College, this would be the first course you'd have to take. That's the idea that John is communicating here. Without the love one another command, you can't do the other anothering commands because all of them are ultimately built on this one. Therefore, loving one another is foundational. It's the the first building block for fulfilling our go-and-do responsibilities toward each other. You can't be a disciple. You can't be a disciple without loving one another. So loving one another is preeminent because it is foundational. It is also preeminent because it is non-negotiable. When something is non-negotiable, that means it's fixed, it's not changing. That means it's, it's not open to discussion or modification. There are at least three reasons why we can say that the love one another command is non-negotiable. The first is because it is, in fact, a command. Loving one another is non-negotiable because it's commanded. You look at John 13, verse 34 and 35, which we read as our scripture reading. Did you notice how Jesus set up his love one another statement? Hear it again, John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now you realize Jesus didn't go around issuing commandments as much as we might think. At least he didn't throw out the word commandment that often. So when Jesus himself says, I'm giving you a commandment, we should listen pretty intently because this is coming from our Lord. This is coming from our Savior. This is coming from the one who died for us. And he's saying, this is so important that I'm labeling it as a commandment. And think for a moment. When Jesus uttered these words, 
He didn't say, hey, I've got a new suggestion for you. Or I've got a new idea I want you to try out. Or, you know, I've been thinking, here's a new possibility to include in your life. He was very specific about his words here. There was intent behind calling this a commandment. Because a commandment carries weight. A commandment means that this is non-negotiable. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate to us when he refers to the love one another as a new commandment. And this isn't the only place that the term commandment is attached to love one another. In John 15 and verse 12, in that same discourse that followed the foot washing, Jesus repeats this. It's as if he's wanting to make sure that those disciples present there before his arrest and us today as disciples get it. I need to make sure the thought process of Jesus, Jesus seems to be, I need to make sure that the people who are going to follow me understand the importance of this. So I'm going to say it more than once. So in John chapter 15 and verse 12, Jesus again said, this is my commandment. Notice he didn't refer to it as a new commandment anymore. My commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then you can go over to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 23 where John wrote this. He said, this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ. And love one another just as he has commanded us. The point is that Jesus identified loving one another as a command. Therefore, it's not optional. It's obligatory. It, makes, it is a non-negotiable of discipleship. In fact, when you look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 23, loving one another is set on par, is equated at least in the grand scheme of things of importance, it is set on par with believing in Jesus. It is absolutely non-negotiable. You have to love one another just like you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But you know, that's not the only reason it's non-negotiable. Loving one another is also non-negotiable because it is the fulfillment of the law. Look at what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. It's Romans chapter 13, and, and I want you to notice verses 8 through 10 in particular. Here Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What Paul is saying is that love is the universal moral absolute. That means it's always right to love. And it's always wrong not to love. 
What Paul is saying is essentially what Jesus was saying when he gave the greatest command. He's summarizing the entirety of God's requirements for holy living with love. Everything God expects and requires of us can be boiled down to loving him preeminently and loving people. And while God is specifically, excuse me, while Paul is specifically focused on the loving people part, his point is clear. If you want to fulfill God's will, then you have to love one another. So love is a non-negotiable because it's commanded by Jesus. Love is a non-negotiable because it's the fulfillment of the law. And love is a non-negotiable because our relationship with God is contingent on it. That's the premise of what John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, loving one another is non-negotiable because my relationship with God is contingent on my relationship with other people. And if you are wrong on loving others, then you can't be right with God. So if you've been baptized into Christ, if you've, if you've crucified your old self and put on the new self, if you've, if, you, if you've walked in the light, then you've accepted the command to love one another. You've accepted it as a requirement of your life, as an essential of your faith. As one minister said, if you've picked Jesus Christ as your Lord, then you don't get to pick, and, pick which of his orders you're going to obey. Loving one another is non-negotiable. But there's something else we learn about loving one another, particularly from Jesus' words in John 13. We, love that love, we learn that loving one another is conditional. Now, when I say that loving one another is conditional, I'm not saying that there are conditions for who we are to love. It's very clear that we're to love people like Christ loved them and he loved people unconditionally. So when I say that loving one another is conditional, what I mean is that there is a, a, there is a standard to our love. There is a, a requirement to our love. There is, in fact, an expectation, a condition on which we should love. Not in regards to who, but in regards to how we are to love. So go back to John, uh, to John chapter 13, where Jesus issued this new commandment to love one another. Within that statement, verse 34 of John chapter 13, Jesus tells us the standard of love that we are to embrace. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. 
And to make sure we didn't miss what he was saying here, he repeated it in John chapter 15 and verse 12, which I've already referenced. But in John chapter 15 and verse 12, Jesus didn't just repeat that this is a commandment. He repeated its condition. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Think about what Jesus is saying when he instructs us to love one another as he loved us. He's saying that the golden rule standard of loving is no longer adequate. The golden rule says treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. That's a pretty good standard for love, isn't it? Treat you the way that I, that I want to be treated. Therefore, that's a, that's, a, that's a strong standard for love. But when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, He's indicating that that golden rule standard of love is not adequate any longer. And he's issuing what one preacher called the platinum rule. He's in effect saying, treat people the way I treated you. Love people the way I loved you. Don't settle for loving people the way you want to be loved. That's too low. You need a higher standard of love. And that higher standard is our Lord who went to the cross for us, who gave His own life for us, who took a punishment that He didn't deserve, a punishment that you and I deserved, all because He loved us first. And He's telling us love like that. That's the new standard. So when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he was showing them that the, the golden rule standard of loving other people the way that we want to be loved is no longer good enough. Loving one another means loving other people the way that Jesus loved us. And that kind of love is sacrificial. That kind of love is merciful. That kind of love is, in fact, eternal. But that's not all Jesus points out when he says love like I loved you. Also being communicated in that is the reality that the reciprocity principle for love is no longer acceptable. Well, what do I mean by reciprocity principle? I'm talking about Christmas card love. You know how Christmas cards work? You send me a Christmas card, I'll send you a Christmas card. Right, Kim Gibson? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm teasing Kim right now because I love Kim, but also because she sent us a Christmas card in April one year. <laughs> oh, I'm, gonna, I'm in for it after this. Oh, and I accept those consequences. But Christmas card love. Christmas card love is the love that says, I'm going to love people that I think deserve my love. I'm going to send Christmas cards to the people that deserve my Christmas cards. I'm going to shower my love on the people that I've chosen to love. And so there are th there's this group over here that, that I'm not really close to, that I don't really care about. I'm not going to love them. 
I'm going to love these people over here. These people who are a big part of my life. These people who I can trust. Most of the love we extend toward others is based on the return we expect to receive. That's because love is, is too expensive in our minds to waste on bad investments, right? We don't want to love just anybody because not everybody is going to reciprocate that love. So we give a lot of thought to who deserves our love and we're picky about who we love because love is just costly. But Jesus made it very clear that simply loving those who are easy to love is not good enough. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 32, Jesus said, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. You see, as people who are in Christ, we're expected to love by a standard greater than those who are outside of Christ. In other words, Jesus said that sinners, that unbelievers, that those who are outside of Christ, are capable of loving by that golden rule standard. And that means that that standard is too low. And so what Christ is trying to do is he's trying to get us to understand that our standard of love must be much, much higher because he is unimpressed with love that picks and chooses its targets. Are you just loving the people that it's comfortable to love or are you loving everyone? Do you not think it was uncomfortable for Jesus to love certain people? Think about this. When Jesus declared in John chapter 13, when he declared, here's the new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, what had he just done? He had just washed some nasty feet. Nastier than your feet right now. Because at least we have closed-toed shoes. And among those feet was a guy named Judas. Oh, the foot washing happened before Judas left that night. The foot washing happened before Judas departed to go negotiate the arrest of Jesus. But by this point, Jesus was fully aware of what, John, of what Judas was going to do. Jesus knew that Judas was the betrayer. Because in just a few moments, when they dipped that bread and Jesus gives it to Judas, that was his indicator of his knowledge that Judas was the betrayer. But before Judas left, with that knowledge in mind, Jesus still washed his feet. Jesus still showed love toward Judas, even though he knew what Judas was about to do. That's because Jesus loved by a higher standard. And that's what he's calling us to do when he says love one another, just as I have loved you. Because loving one another is conditional. Conditioned on Jesus' application of it. And one final thought about the preeminence of the love one another command. Loving one another is irrefutable. Let me explain what I mean with two points. Turn back to 2 John, look at verse 5 and 6 again. 2 John verses 5 and 6. 
This is the passage we referenced earlier. When we looked at that from the beginning phrase. But particularly if you look at verse 6 of 2 John, you'll notice this statement. This is love. That we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. This is love, that we should walk according to his commandments. John indicated that love is related to obedience. He equated love to walking according to Christ's commands. In other words, obedience to Christ's commands, which includes all of the anothering commands that we're eventually going to study. Obedience is the way that we show our love to Christ. Obedience is the way that we demonstrate our love for Christ. Obedience is the way that we give irrefutable evidence to our love for Him. Obedience and love are intricately intertwined. Fulfilling the love one another command in particular, but also all the anothering commands, it serves as irrefutable evidence that we love Jesus. And then if you return to John chapter 13, after Jesus had issued the new commandment, after Jesus had said, love one another as I have loved you, he then in verse 35 of John chapter 13 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now what we learn from this passage is that when Jesus selected the means by which he wanted to identify his, his disciples, he chose love. He didn't choose faith or humility or truth. All of those could have worked, right? But Jesus chose love as the defining attribute of discipleship. Now throughout history... People have tried to communicate their faith, their relationship to Christ, their discipleship through a variety of means. Some have dressed in particular clothes. Some have worn particular jewelry. Some have tried to put particular decals on the back of their vehicles. Some have separated themselves into particular communities. Some have sought to practice a particular level of, of purity in their lifestyle. Some have even pursued political means to enforce the agenda of the Bible. But Jesus didn't say that any of those things would identify us as his disciples. Instead, Jesus indicated that the way we love one another will communicate our relationship to him like nothing else in the world. That's how people will know you're his disciples. You know, we shouldn't expect the world to recognize our relationship to Christ through our doctrinal correctness because the world doesn't know what truth is. And we shouldn't expect the world to recognize our relationship to Christ through our moral holiness because the world doesn't know what morality is. But the world, the world has experienced love, maybe if only in brief glimpses. 
And that's why they have the opportunity to recognize our relationship to Christ through our expression of love toward others. As one minister said, the way we another is how we proclaim to the world that Jesus is a Savior like no other. So loving one another is a requirement of discipleship. Loving one another is the expectation of all of us who claim Christ as our Lord. You cannot be in a right relationship with God if you are not in a right relationship with other people. John called those who claim to love God but hate their brothers. He called them liars. We read this a moment ago, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, but it's worth repeating as we draw to a close. John said, He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The ultimate question is this. Do you love others the way that Jesus loves you? Because as we start this series examining the one another statements of Christ, every one of these one another commands is going to challenge us on love. Because every one of these one another commands requires love. Do you love like Christ loved you? That's the ultimate issue. He loved you enough to die for you. He loved you enough to forgive you of your sins. And right now, if you've never had your sins cleansed, right now they can be because of what Christ did for you. And all you've got to do is confess that he is the risen son of God. Repent of your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. Have you made that decision yet? Have you allowed his blood to cover your sins? Because that's how much he loved you. How much do you love him? You have any need to respond to the invitation this morning to make sure that your life is right with Christ, to make sure that you are fulfilling your responsibilities as a disciple, then we invite you to come while together we stand and sing.
Kyle. It's good to be here today to worship with everybody. Our numbers are